Listening to the flip side with Noah Filipiak, connecting the reality of the gospel to the grit of life. You can support the podcast at patreon.com slash Noah Filipiak or at noahfilipiak.com slash give. What's up, flip eponymuses? That's right, I said it. If you're new to the flip side, you're going, did he just say flip eponymuses? Flip eponymous, flip eponymi. I don't know the plural of that. Gotta work on that. Jason Redowdy smiles every time I say flip eponymous. So I say it often to make him smile. Uh, welcome to episode 34 of The Flip Side. We are a podcast that keeps its promises. I give out many promises, <coughs> excuse me, promises on this podcast. One of them being that someday we will have real swag to give away with our Patreon subscriptions. <laughs> That's been one I've been going on now for about six months. Other promises include that I will someday do a live, uh, potentially even video, oh, it wouldn't be potentially, it would be video, a live video podcast experience that will show up on your Facebook page when you didn't ask for it. Uh, that will happen someday. That's another promise that has been made on the flip side. And you might be thinking, Noah makes a lot of promises on the flip side and doesn't keep them. He just keeps promising them over and over again. Well, that is not true, flip eponymous eye. <laughs> today, we will fulfill one of the many long-standing promises on the flip side. And that is, today... I interview Todd Wilson. So the day has finally arrived. I know for the last nine months you've been waiting in anticipation. It's been a rough 2020, I know. It's because you've been waiting. I've been promising you this interview since January, and it hasn't arrived. And I keep telling you it's going to happen next week, and it doesn't happen. And now it is finally here. So uh, for those of you who knew the podcast, we did a book club through the book Mere Sexuality by Todd A. Wilson back in November and December of 2019. And I uh, invited listeners to jump in to that book club. And then on my blog, noahflippiak.com, I would post my thoughts on a section of chapters and then the book club members would write their comments and then I would respond. And it was pretty cool. And we may do another book club uh, again, it's kind of was the idea to do it again. So we did that one. It was pretty neat. And then, uh, Todd had agreed to come and be interviewed on the podcast. And so we're finally getting to do that today, which is pretty cool. So that'll, you'll get to hear that, uh, in a few minutes and I'll read you Todd's bio in a few minutes uh, before I introduce that. Oh yeah. One other promise that I made that I'm sure you don't care about, but I someday I will, as my, as my voice here is, is sounding like a frog's, uh, it reminded me of my promise that someday I'm going to make my own commercials. I have jokingly said, if you want to sponsor the flip side, just let me know. We can work something out and we'll play your commercial on the podcast. And uh, I'm going to make my own commercials so that when I do a live podcast, 
I can take breaks and get drinks of water or coffee or go to the bathroom or whatever it might be and have some some both funny and serious commercials promoting some of, of my stuff as well as uh, places I love like World Relief and even promoting some books and such of friends of mine uh, that I think you should read. So another not broken promise on the flip side, just a a promise that is not yet here. See, God uses the flip side to test and strengthen your patience, which is a fruit of the Spirit. So hang in there. You're going to make it. My only real announcement or news, so to speak, is uh, beyondthebattle.net. I lead seven-week small groups online with men through my book, Beyond the Battle. I have a team, uh, and we lead the groups together, and we have some new groups, and there are openings in the groups. So the groups are coming up this fall. You want to get in while there is still room, and they start up after Labor Day, so uh, early to mid-September. Go to beyondthebattle.net and check those out. If you're a guy and you're looking for seven weeks of just really strengthening your walk with Jesus, your identity in Christ, particularly as it relates to overcoming temptations uh, for pornography, lust, sex outside of marriage, kind of the the whole gamut of discontent that we live in. And Todd and I uh, talk about that a little bit. And and this world that we live in, it's an over-sexualized world. And yeah, we have these seven-week groups, and they have just been fantastic uh, to equip men against uh, this struggle that that all of us face. So check it out, beyondthebattle.net. There's a Sunday evening group as well as a Saturday morning group. So hope one of those worked for you. Or if you are a pastor and you have some guys in your church who you want to equip in this way, you could be guys that are struggling or, or guys that are doing well that just want to be equipped. Uh, pass that along to them, beyondthebattle.net. And with that, we're going to head over to my interview next with Dr. Todd Wilson. Uh, Todd is the co-founder and president of of the Center for Pastor Theologians. Overall, he is an extremely smart dude. Uh, He's written a whole bunch of books. I encourage you to check them out. If you haven't already read Mere Sexuality as you are listening to the flip side and and us doing the the book club, I would encourage you uh, to read it, particularly after this interview. Hopefully it's something of interest to you. But to learn more about Todd and what he's up to, you can head to pastortheologians.com. And Todd also has a podcast. It is the second best podcast in the world. You know what the first best podcast is? Yeah, not this one. No, sorry. (laughs) Yeah, actually, one of our Patreon swag, which probably is my favorite one, is so the way the swag works is we have these designs and then you can put them on anything, a mug, a journal cover. I mean, not anything. I'm... (laughs) I picked a few things that can go on, uh, but one of them says, my third favorite podcast is the Flipside Podcast, and I stand by that. I stand by that fact. That uh, My third favorite podcast is the Flipside, and uh, Todd's awesome. Check out the Pastor Theologian Podcast, Mere Sexuality, and he has a book on the Enneagram coming out uh, in January or February 2021. And we talked about that a little bit. I love to nerd out on the Enneagram. So follow Todd as an author, if you don't already, to stay up on all that he's up to. So without further ado, oh, I guess I, no, with some further ado. How about that? With some further ado. You never hear that. 
here's a little further ado. Uh, Todd and I have a great conversation. We talk about sexuality. What does that even mean? What is sexuality? I mean, we talk about gender. So we're going to talk about uh, gender dysphoria as well as gender, just male and female. And what does that even mean? And Todd really has a passion for, I don't know the right word, uh, re not rediscovering, but for the church to talk about the importance of the body. And, and and it's cool to just see the way he extrapolates a lot of really practical stuff out of that. So we're going to talk about same-sex attraction, uh, LGBTQ issues, and uh, people's struggles uh, being a gay Christian or a same-sex attracted Christian, and, and what does it look like to live and, and walk in that, uh, this sort of cultural swing that's happened between... Uh, 20 years ago and today on on the Bible and what the Bible says about sexuality, uh, about Jesus' sexuality. So it's it's really great. Those are some teasers, and we have a great conversation. Uh, I want to say I hope you enjoy it, but more than that, I always hope these conversations aren't just entertainment. I, I hope that you can pause even for a moment and prepare your heart and ask God to, to open your heart and to say, God, uh, will you speak your love to me in this? I hope that you hear Jesus's voice speaking to you through this, not not that not through what we're saying, but but legit through the message of the gospel that that you are loved and you are whole in Jesus and in the gospel wherever you're at, wherever wherever your walk is, and if you're struggling, uh, reach out. I mean, I I would love to. Yeah, I don't want to say walk with you like the rest of your life because that that's not something I can offer. But what I want to say is I would love to be there for you during this season. I would love to be there for you to help you navigate some hard questions you're having, to help plug you into some local community that you need that can express the love of Jesus to you in very practical ways. So if any of this sparks that in you, uh, yeah, just know that this podcast really is a community and uh, I am a pastor at heart and would, would love to be there for you during this season uh, to help you walk. Cause we're going to talk about some stuff that's real, uh, real stuff, real sexuality, real struggles that you may be walking through or people in your church are walking through. So know that you don't have to do it alone. Now, without further ado, I give you Dr. Todd Wilson. All right, Todd. Well, thank you so much for joining the podcast. The, 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 the Flipside Nation has been waiting in anticipation for this moment awesome, for the last awesome, year. Yeah. So thanks yeah, for well, looking forward to uh, Looking forward to talking with you, brother. And uh, thanks for the invite. This is an honor for me to be with you. Yeah, this is pretty cool because we did a book club through your book, Mere Sexuality, back in November, yes. December uh, 2019. And so we had some listeners who were reading along and on my blog, I would I would write sort of my reflection, and then they would comment, yeah. and it was neat. So this is a really cool way to uh, to to wrap that up, and um, yeah, thanks for, thanks for being here. So, um, well, thanks for doing that with your book club. That's yeah. that's encouraging. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, let me kick off with this: uh, Why did a straight married pastor decide to write this book, Mere Sexuality? Yes, <laughs> great question. Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, it emerged, Noah, out of a couple things. I mean, the, the real driving issue was uh, my pastoral ministry and the particular congregation I was shepherding at the time in the community that we found ourselves in, in the moment we found ourselves in. So I was, and I could go on for a long time about this. So I'll try to give you the succinct version if you want to follow up on any of this. Of course, you, you know, feel free to. But 
I was called to a congregation that was a fairly conservative congregation in a very progressive liberal mm. community. So I was called to Calvary Memorial Church in the center of Oak Park, the largest evangelical church in Oak Park, Illinois, just outside of Chicago and in, in kind of the near um, western suburbs of Chicago. And Oak Park's two patron saints are Ernest Hemingway and Frank Lloyd Wright. Uh, there's mm. more uh, Frank Lloyd Wright architecture in Oak Park than anywhere else in the country. And Ernest Hemingway was born and reared there and graduated from the local high school. So, th so these are our patron saints, mm. these two um, sort of uh, great architect and, and uh, literary uh, uh, mind of the 20th century. And it, it kind of is the vibe of Oak Park. They describe Oak Park as a university town without a university, very affluent, very progressive. Um, and so very progressive on lots of things, including sexuality issues. So questions of homosexuality and, and things have been a longstanding discussion in the community of Oak Park. Uh, in fact, back in the 90s when they were talking about civil unions, Oak Park was sort of on the front edge with San Francisco, in fact, mm. on discussing and debating these kinds of things. Oak Park, uh, Calvary uh, had had a bit of a reputation for being, well, frankly, I didn't know about Calvary when I was called to the church. I started when I was uh, uh, invited to start exploring um, uh, uh, going to the church. And so I Googled Calvary Memorial Church Oak Park and what popped up in the in my Google search was that this was the quote unquote gay hating church in Oak Park. Wow. Because the church had taken some strong stands back in the late nineties and early two thousands on um, same sex practice and same sex marriage and how it impacted schools and all this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and so developed this reputation. Well, so to, to fast forward, when I arrived, um, I wanted to rehabilitate that reputation or not rehabilitate, but change that reputation. And so I made a conscious decision to put a moratorium on speaking to that particular issue, which was a very live and sensitive issue uh, in, you know, in, in, in 2010, 11, 12, 13, particularly as um, Illinois legalized civil unions in 2014, and then the country legalized same-sex marriage in 2015. Yeah. Um, so I, I just made the conscious decision, I'm not going to speak on this because it's going to inflame the community. And, and I, my sense was stir up my congregation, I judged mm. in an unhelpful way. Mm -hmm. um, my, my interest was to, you know, there's a title uh, by, I think his, his name is Chad Thompson, How to Love Homosexuals the Way Jesus Would. And uh, I, um, I thought, well, that's what my congregation needs is, is, is to mm -hmm. think more empathetically and compassionately about loving their uh, gay friends and neighbors. In the, in, in, um, and, and so I, I would have put the emphasis there. But what I realized, Noah, um, was during my tenure, tenure, my 10 years at Calvary, my 10-year uh, tenure there, that's a clunky <laughs> yeah, phrase, right. but um, uh, was there had really been a sort of sea change in the congregation as the congregation was getting younger mm. and moving from, you know, baby boomers and Gen Xers to millennials. And what I found is I kept talking to younger members of my congregation over time. And, and I, like I said, I hadn't been teaching or preaching on, on human sexuality questions, really. Um, what I realized was that the younger members of the congregation, they didn't need to be taught or exhorted or challenged to, quote, mm. love homosexuals the way Jesus would. <laughs> they really didn't understand human sexuality in a theological perspective at all. Mm -hmm. 
And that was quite shocking to me, to be, <laughs> to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, they had no problem l- engaging with their same-sex attracted or gay friends and neighbors or classmates in college or whatever. And, and they had many relationships like that, right? Where uh, uh, cousins or siblings or colleagues and, and so on. Um, but they were a bit oblivious to the 2,000-year Christian tradition of, of thinking about human sexuality. And to be very blunt, like why this question even matters to Christians, like yeah. why Christians care about this issue of sexuality. Um, so I've gone on, actually, I was going to give you the short version. Now I've given you the, the medium sized version <laughs> of the story. Um, so why did I choose to preach on it was because what I realized is this next generation of Christians who are committed to the Bible and committed to the gospel and committed to the yeah. church and all this, the rest of it, were pretty oblivious as to the theology of human sexuality. All they really understood was that the Bible had a few proof texts that spoke negatively mm-hmm. about homosexual practice, but that was about it. That was about all they understood about the Christian teaching on this. And I wanted to help fill out their theological imagination and understanding of human sexuality more broadly and then speak to the issue of homosexuality in particular. Yeah. I preached the sermon series that became the book Mere Sexuality in 2015, mm-hmm. um, right after the Obergefell ruling in the summer of 2015. Um, I think that was the timing on it, um, to help just sort of frame all these issues, in a, in a, again, in a theological perspective. So, so it was kind of emerged out of where my congregation was and the community we were in, and then what was going on in the country where this was such a live and hot discussion. It seems passe now, right? I mean, five years later, it's like, really? Who's talking about that anymore? But back in 2015, you may remember, it was, it was quite an intense and energetic discussion amongst Christians and, and of course, yeah. in the country as well. So that was the, the, was the reason why I preached the series yeah, and then wrote the book. Yeah, that's really helpful. I, I think even if it's not as talked about of an issue today, I, I think it's still, I think what you described is still something people from, yeah. if I could say both generations, there's more than two, but sort of the older generation and the younger generation are still, are still facing. And I think churches in yes. general are still facing. Uh, it's, it's something that I think just gets assumed. I think uh, right. now, I, I, my experience is, Churches don't talk about it a lot because they may even be realizing that, well, one, if they do, there's, there could be legal even, maybe, consequences yeah. depending on their community. Uh, and two, that the people that are making up their congregation are having more and more uh, differing views maybe on this. Yes. But as long as we That's don't right. talk, talk about it and they don't talk about it, we can all kind of still stay here. But That's as right. soon as keep we the, bring it keep up. Keep the peace that way. Yeah. Yeah. I sense that a little bit, at least in, in, in some of the church settings um, near, near yes. me. Um, so I don't think it's, I don't think it's really gone anywhere. I, I, I'm, I'm wondering if you can give some advice uh, to a, you know, a 2020 audience uh, listening on sort of that, that balance. You, you talked in mere sexuality about how for the, the, the majority, I mean, the vast, vast majority of church history, uh, and, and mm. even we could say in the global church as well, you know, the church has yeah, held sure. this traditional view of marriage and of sexuality and traditional might not be the right word. I don't I hate labels, but you know, th- this view that uh, sex is for a man and for a woman within marriage. And that's what marriage is and those sorts of things. And that's right. You, you made a comment. It was, you know, I think you mentioned the years like in 10 to 20 years, this very short window of time 
the there's been this significant change uh, in how we view the Bible. That's and right. it, it sort of feels yes. like culture's culture's gone forward, and so uh, the ch- at least m- many parts of the church have said, "Man, we have got to keep up uh, with culture." Right. And so, uh, I, can you speak towards holding on to biblical truth, but also towards what I would say biblical compassion uh, yes. towards um, LGBTQ people? Yeah, well, that's a great question. And that's a tension that I think we all face. And I would say, I think the younger generation faces that more acutely than perhaps even my generation, or certainly my parents' generation. You know, my parents are in their mid to late 70s now, uh, boomer generation. Uh, And I say you face it more acutely for this reason, as homosexuality and um, um, homosexuality has become more normalized in our culture, and more openly talked about, and people will are, are more free, you might say, to, to identify as same-sex attracted or in a same-sex relationship. Um, the younger generation is just interfacing with people who are, are gay much more regularly, much more frequently, right? And, I, you know, I can think of, I hardly knew anybody. I grew up in the northern suburbs of Indianapolis mm-hmm. and graduated from high school in 1994. I hardly knew anybody who was gay. And it was, not, it was if, honestly, in a class of 600 people in my high school class, graduating class, it was hardly even a conversation that yeah. I can remember. Not really. And the same in college. It was just hardly, I went to Wheaton College, so it was an evangelical Christian school, but it just was not on the radar in the way that it is now. It was, it's unavoidable now. I mean, it's just, mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. such a present issue. Um, so I, that's why I say I think it's more acute um, challenge because millennials and, and um, Gen um, Zs, you're embedded in relationships with people that you care about that are lovely human beings who also are gay. Yeah. And if you're Christian, you're trying to figure out, how do I make sense of that? <laughs> how do I yeah. make sense of that? Right. And, uh, and just saying, you know, um, uh, homosexuals are going to go to hell and that's against the Bible and, you know, just full stop, boom, in some sort of ham-fisted, aggressive way. That just makes no sense to the younger generation of evangelical Christians who know people who are gay and love them and find their lives very impressive and commendable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so how do you work that tension out or that balance? Out? It's, it's, it's a great question. It's a great question. Um, one of the things I try to do in the book is provide a bigger framework for thinking about sexuality. So I call it mere sexuality as a kind of nod to C.S. Lewis's mere Christianity as a way of saying this is what Christians at most times and most places have thought about human sexuality. And so I, I try to help Christians think about it, not just from a narrowly biblical way, in a narrowly biblical way, like here are four or five texts you should know about what the, what the Bible teaches about homosexuality. Of course, Scripture is central for evangelicals, and it is our um, uh, final authority and norm uh, for Christian faith and practice. So I don't want to downplay or minimize the role of Scripture at all. But I want to bring into Scripture a couple of other things. One is theology, thinking theologically thinking not just about homosexuality in light of what the Bible teaches in four or five places, but thinking theologically about what it means to be human, Noah. This is, Mm -hmm. I think, what is so often missed is homosexuality and sexuality in general reflects and speaks to the nature of what it means to be a human being. And and so thinking about that theologically from God's perspective, uh, and then also bringing in the history of the church, 
right? What have Christians thought about these issues? And what has been the ongoing conversation about sexuality for the last 2,000 years of Christian tradition? Yeah. The church has a ton of resources there. And then the fourth piece is experience. What is experience? How does experience nuance the way we think about these things? Nuance the way we talk about these things. What is, what is let's say, science and psychology teaching us about same-sex attraction and these kinds of issues that nuance and enrich the way we talk and think as Christians about what the Bible teaches and what the Christian faith teaches. So I think when you broaden out your thinking on these things, Noah, it helps to, to, um, to engage with more nuance and compassion uh, and live out that tension, I think, more effectively. Yeah, I like that about mere sexuality. For those who haven't read it, I encourage you to to give it a read. And it 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 goes through. And this, <laughs> I'm talking to the author, so you might say that's not what I meant to do with it. But uh, <laughs> what I picked up on was there was sort of these three categories, and it's it's all under one umbrella of human sexuality. But we have the category of uh, I don't have a term for it, heterosexual, you know, sexual sin. And, and I wrote a book that. Yeah only deals with that. You know, it's one category you can yes. talk about. You can talk about sex, uh, premarital sex, and, and what, what does one flesh sex mean, and, you know, pornography and things like that. And, and there's, there's plenty of conversations needed for that in the church. There's a conversation about uh, homosexuality, and, and there's an entire conversation around that. And then there's a conversation about gender and about, you know, transgender and, or gender uh, dysphoria. And so what I, what yes. I liked is, is it, it sort of hit on all three of those. By looking yes. at this, you know, this, 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 it, it, and to me, it, it sort of put us all in the same boat. And I yes. like to, I like to approach the topic of sexuality, the topic of uh, t- talking about LGBTQ issues as saying, you know, we, while there's certainly unique struggles and individual crosses to bear, we, we are in the same boat in a sense. And if, if we yes. could talk and preach about these things in that way, I do think it at least helps, uh, it helps have the conversation, I think. No, I love that. I, I appreciate that. And um, underscoring our common and shared humanity is so good and so right that we are all created in the image of God and we are all fallen and broken in profound ways that impacts our lives differently. But we are all in that sense, sort of on a little playing field in our human kind of glory as as people creatures made in the image of god and our sort of suffering and and sinfulness and fallenness yeah right i i, I appreciate that a ton and, and one other thing to say noah um is that at the end of the day what i try to do in the book and what i think is the most important thing in the conversation for christians to understand is that our bodies matter if you were to summarize the message of the book in one simple sentence, it would be, your body matters to sexuality. Mm-hmm. Your body matters. Sexuality is not, um, from a Christian perspective, is not um, only about what's going on internally in how you feel about things, or as it were, what you do with your body that makes you feel good, or who you're even attracted to, right? Yeah. All of that is relevant and important at, at one level. But to think Christianly about sexuality, you have to take the body very seriously. And creation reflects the fact that there are two different types of bodies. There's male body and a female body. I, I know there's an intersex phenomenon, so just kind of bracket that off for a second. Um, but male and female embodiment 
is the driver for, for mere sexuality. And I think that's the thing that's lost in contemporary society for lots of interesting philosophical reasons. Most Christians these days are closet Gnostics. They mm-hmm. don't take their embodiment seriously. They don't take their physical body seriously. It's a tool. It's an instrument. It's a play thing. Um, but it's not intrinsic to their very identity. And so just say one other thing. That's why, I, and I, um, I appreciate you saying that um, mere sexuality speaks to these different categories that you were mentioning, because the categories you mentioned of gender dysphoria and transgenderism, homosexuality, and heterosexual sexual dysfunction, all three of those are challenges with our sense of embodiment. Hmm. And the solution, both in our thinking and in our growth, is to um, kind of reorient ourselves to their embodiment, that we have bodies and bodies matter for sexuality in very profound ways. Yeah, and that reminds me of a section of the book where you talked about the sexuality of Jesus. And it's 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 a provocative subject because, and this is what I love about us all being in the same boat, and, and we'll get to this uh, more. We'll talk more about this before the interview is over. But this, Jesus never had sex. And in and, and yes. our culture, whether homosexual or heterosexual, we we worship sex i mean if you if you look at and christian culture as well we we worship oh yeah marriage we worship we say sex within marriage is the ultimate and uh look at every product and tv show and movie and the mindset and and you talked about it uh, some you know some in in the book just where where culture is going where sex is becoming more and more casual more and more common it is the drug that we just can't get enough of. And yet Jesus never had sex. And yes. we would look at Jesus' life and, and say he was the ideal human. And we would, we would yeah. for sure say he was a whole person. Yes. He was a secure, yes. whole person. And so uh, I'm, I'm, I'm wondering, uh, well, well, let's start talking about this. And then uh, we'll come back to how another, I think, a subject that this relates to with the the gay single celibate lifestyle but so i'm going a little out of order here but let's just talk about jesus first how how was jesus able to live a whole secure life but he never had sex yes great question i mean you're exactly right the assumption in our culture today i mean it's 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 a real it's wild our culture, because we're speaking out of both sides of our mouth. I mean, you hear competing messages. You hear on the one hand that your sex, that is to say your biological sex, male or female, is not essential to who you are. It's optional or it's negotiable, right? Um, I was just filling out a form for one of my kids for athletics, and you fill out uh, sex at birth, sex assigned at birth, mm-hmm. and then and then the next next category right next to it this is for my sophomore uh daughter uh for soccer high school and the category right next to it is um gender that your child identifies with hmm. so fascinating fascinating hmm. you can have you can uh, yeah, so this is the transgender movement of course but um and what that reflects is like on the one hand our biological sex doesn't matter that much for our identity on the other hand, sexual activity, to your point, Noah, sexual activity is absolutely essential to a fulfilled life as a person, to a fulfilling life. So on the one hand, you don't need sex. On the other hand, you can't live without sex. Mm. It's a fascinating 
confusing cultural, you know, uh, situation we find ourselves in. Jesus sort of smashes that, right? Jesus's life reflects and reveals and shows us that sex is our is embodied sexuality as male and female is essential to who we are, our identity. On the other hand, Jesus's life reveals the fact that sexual activity is not essential to being a fulfilled human being. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it's, it's, it's a remarkable, remarkable thing that there, was, there really was no one who was more sexually contented or fully human than Jesus, and yet Jesus never enjoyed um, sexual activity. He never enjoyed sexual lust or sexual fantasy or a lingering romantic kiss. He was never married. I mean, there's all these things that we take to be essential to human fulfillment that Jesus never enjoyed. Uh, and so starting with the person of Christ, so it's, it is the, the, um, at the front of the book, this chapter on Jesus' sexuality, I think is, is so important um, because it helps us orient to um, what the Christian faith really teaches on these things. Yeah, I have found so compelling in conversations with two two different groups of people. One, uh, married guys who's who's because yeah. so a lot of the work that I do is with guys who are struggling with pornography or uh, lust of various kind affairs, things like that. And so yes. uh, both single and married. And so in that group, you have single guys who don't have sort of christian access to sex if that makes sense and yes. then you have yes, sure. uh, married guys who are struggling in their marriages and uh maybe they're uh, not not all but some you know their their wives are not available for sex and so there's a lot of frustration there and those sorts of things and it it always uh reminds me of the struggle that my uh gay brothers uh i would say um i don't want to it's mostly guys that I that I walk with who are who are gay Christians or same sex attracted, yes. depending on the label that they choose uh, to use for themselves. Uh, that I walk with who who are in many ways they're struggling with the same thing. They're 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 yeah. unable to have sex uh, in a, a trying to walk you know the the biblical Christian yes, right. Christian way. And I find for I guess it's really three groups of uh, that I, that I just brought up for all three of them the the example of Jesus and of Paul, I think are extremely yeah. uh, helpful and inspirational. Yes. I think, I think some give Jesus, uh, though we know he's hundred percent human. Some can't help, but give him, Oh, he's, he's God. You know, of course he could do that. Yeah, that's um, right. That's right. <laughs> uh, but, but still the, the fact that we talked about, he, he is the ideal human and he's living a single celibate life. And, but you have Paul who was certainly not God and had his own struggles and lived a single celibate life, and uh, they they glorifies the wrong word. They but they use singleness as the example to follow within Christian yes. discipleship. And marriage is sort of the concession. Marriage is sort of second yes. place. Uh, and I just I don't know. I've just I found uh, both of their lives to be uh, very helpful in in my own my own journey and and struggles and in counseling. Yeah counseling other men and women who are struggling with uh, whatever, I don't know if cross they have to bear is too strong of a way to say it, but whatever they're, the, whatever they have to bear to, 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 yes. you know, obey um, the, the Bible's, you know, commands and, and guides for, for what is, what is one flesh sex supposed to look like. So anyway, I just love that. I, I love the conversation about around Jesus and 
and and yeah. how how he was able to how he was able to do that. And I just don't think we spend enough time uh, talking and thinking about that. No, no, that's a great word. That's a great word. It, it, a couple of thoughts. I mean, one is we we have in our culture made an idol of sex, sexual activity, as we were talking about earlier. And that does, I'll use this language, that tends to inflame lust in all of us, right? Mm -hmm. Just like the idol of money tends to inflame covetousness in all of us, Mm. right? Um, And and so I I think we're all at a disadvantage in our sex-crazed, idolatrous culture that we find ourselves in, um, in trying to live a sexually chaste life in this culture is incredibly difficult. Um, and by the way, living a chaste life is something that is, is the calling for every person. I mean, every Christian, right? Whether you're married or unmarried, the call to chastity, it is not as though you get married and all of a sudden all the, all the sort of chastity is out the window in the, because you now get to have sex, right? There's, there's, regular, um, there's a regular daily even call to self-denial. Yeah. sexual self-denial and self-sacrifice that's part of the married person's life as a Christian, right? And that's kind of the, 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 the myth of, of for, I think, for unmarried Christians, you look at married Christians, you think, oh my gosh, that's, that's the easy life, right? right. You, find, you finally, quote unquote, have access to sex. Right. But as, as married couples listening to this podcast know, it's just not that straightforward, right? Yeah. There's still regular... Um, uh, calling to, to live a life of self-denial, which puts us all, where I'm going with this, Noah, is it puts us all on the path of discipleship in the way of Jesus and the way of mm. the cross, regardless of our station in life. Yeah. So if you're same-sex attracted or gay Christian, you have a unique way of living out the life of discipleship, but it's not, it's not fundamentally different right? I mean, it manifests itself in a unique way for you, but it's not fundamentally different than what every Christian is called to, which is self-denial, taking up your cross and following after Jesus. So that brings me to a topic that I, I want to make sure we, we sit in for a little while. And it's, it's, uh, I'd love, I just love to hear your thoughts on this. Um, there's a, and some of these these words uh, we may have to define. Um, so there's what we would call the side B community, uh, which is Christians who um, I'll even I'll even word it from a friend of mine who who is uh, side B. He says non-affirming but allows for queer identity to exist. Those are his words. Uh, as as someone who who is a side B, uh, he would call himself a gay Christian. Uh, and with, within side B, there is uh, debates even, uh, you know, in, in division and, and things like that. Um, yeah. And uh, so side A would be fully affirming. Side A would be Christians who, who are saying, you know, um, for, for many different reasons. And that's not really the purpose of this interview, but just so people have an idea of, of kind of what side A and B, B mean. Side A essentially, and Chad, you could say this better than me. Uh, I should just ask you you should say what these things mean. No, no, you're going, uh, you're going, go, uh, keep going. Side A basically is Christians who um, have different reasons. You know, some would say the Bible leads them towards saying it's okay for there to be gay um, sexual relationships uh, or gay, you know, marriage sexual relationships. Uh, others, they, they're going to have different ways of viewing the Bible to get them to that conclusion. But yes. basically, but then side B is, uh, is saying, no, we're, we're, um, we are, 
going to live by what the Bible says, um, the traditional view of, of men and women uh, in a marriage sexual relationship, but uh, we are gay. We, or some would say we are same-sex attracted. It's, it's, it's no longer this idea that you can be sort of converted out of that or, you know, whatever yes. the case 20 years ago or something like that. So, okay, so just to kind of set the table a little bit, um, Wesley Hill has a book called Spiritual Friendship, and you mentioned spiritual friendship towards uh, the end of your book. Uh, and you, you talk about how in, in the church up to this point, uh, as we, 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 give, we give gay Christian or same-sex attracted Christians singles sort of one option, and that option is mm-hmm. a, a, a lifetime of loneliness. So, yes, so, yes. They, uh, so you can't have sex. Uh, outside of marriage, and most of you aren't going to marry, you know, if you're a man, you're not going to marry a woman and vice versa. That does happen. I I have several friends that are in uh, marriages like that. Uh, But but for many, that's not not even an option for them. Uh, And so you bring up this idea of of friendship, uh, and and you even used the word covenant at one point. Uh, Why don't I just turn it over to you and let you talk about that idea? I haven't read Wesley's book, Spiritual Friendship. I have heard him speak on it. Uh, I, I, I yeah. heard him speak at a, a writer's conference here in, in Grand Rapids. Um, and it's, it's on my list to read. But, but explain kind of what is the, this idea? What is this, this? If it's not a lifetime of loneliness, what are you presenting here with this idea yeah, great. Uh, of friendship? Yeah, yeah great question. So um, if you're going to take seriously the vision of mere sexuality, that sexual, and here's the essence of it, that sexual activity belongs in marriage. It belongs one place, namely marriage. That's kind of historic Christian teaching. That means, and marriage defined as, as a, you know, a relationship between two com- bo- complementary bodies, male and female. That's why Christians teach male and female is the definition of marriage and the essence of marriage, because we believe bodies matter and two bodies are male and female are complementary. Um, but, and if you hold that view, then what do you do with someone who's consistently same-sex attracted or might identify themselves as gay? Um, uh, they, it, it seems like, man, they're kind of shut out in the cold for the rest of their life, right? You know, you can't enjoy this most intimate of, of relationships and you can't enjoy the pleasures of sexual intimacy and, and genital intimacy and so on and so forth. Uh, and that seems, um, like a very bleak prospect. I try to speak to that in the book by saying we have as a church, and a culture, but certainly as a church, we have made that dilemma worse because we have a very weak friendship culture. Mm -hmm. In other words, we have collapsed all meaningful relationships into the marital relationship. It's part of the idolatry of marriage and the family, I think, in our culture. Um, But when that happens, um, you know, if if, uh, everything else plays second fiddle to to marriage and it's far less meaningful. Um, and, uh, and the church I think has been complicit in this and in, in having a very weak friendship culture. Um, so I try to sort of wave the banner as Wesley does for renewing and cultivating a stronger friendship culture in the church. And what are friends? Noah, right? So what's the difference between a marriage and a friendship? The difference between a marriage and a friendship boils down to one thing, which is with friends, with, in, with a partner in marriage, you share one thing you don't with your friends, namely your body, sexually. That's the difference. Mm-hmm. So in friendship, you can have a union of heart, 
with a friend. You can have a union of soul with a friend. You can have a union of spirit. You know that language we talk about being united and connected and all that. You can do all those things with a friend. You can be deeply emotionally committed and connected. The only thing you don't do with a friend is you don't share your body sexually. That's what you don't do. Which is why, by the way, you can have many, many friends and only one spouse. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good point. Um, and, it's, and by the way, it's also why, at least, you know, to, the state has tended to regulate marriages and not friendships. You don't need to go down to a courthouse and apply for an application to become a friend with somebody, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. You do with marriage because when you put two bodies together sexually, you start sharing bodies sexually between a, a man and a woman, something can happen, namely a baby, <laughs> right? Yeah. And the state has a vested interest in that. The state doesn't have a vested interest in what you do with friends. That's why they don't need to regulate it or I've never thought to regulate. But anyways, I'm kind of getting a little sidetracked here. The point is friendship when the friendship culture is strong in the church or in a society, it provides deep, rich, meaningful relationship and connection for people, um, which is life-giving for people who are same sex, consistently same-sex attracted, Noah, and are contemplating a lifelong journey of celibacy and sexual chastity. Hmm. Where do they find intimacy? Where do they find deep connection? Where do they find rich relationships and mutual giving and support? Answer, from a Christian perspective, in deep spiritual friendship. Deep spiritual friendship, which can be profoundly rich. Even though you're not sharing your body sexually, it can be profoundly intimate and very, very rich. And so I allude to, in the book, David and Jonathan's relationship. Uh, right, this profound friendship, or you might even think about John, the beloved disciple, and Jesus, who enjoyed a, a evidently, we don't have much about this, but uh, deep, a deep friendship, a kind of John laying on the chest of Jesus, as John's gospel talks about, a kind of beautiful, intimate picture of friendship. That's the kind of thing that can be enjoyed by same-sex attracted Christians and other sex attracted Christians, uh, and I think it's the key uh, for helping um, gay Christians live a faithful celibate chaste life in the church. So I got a couple of follow-up questions to that. Uh, sure. One of them is with the church itself. I love the idea. And I, I, then I look at the church and I look at our culture and I'm talking about just how individualistic our culture is and how, yeah. how really most churches have uh, morphed around that. Right. And, and, yes. and churches are, you know, we, we have small groups in churches. That's sort of the standard go-to for where to find community. But me, there's exceptions. There's exceptions. But I think yeah. many, many small groups are, you know, they're, they're temporary. They're, they're yep. uh, somewhat surface level. God can certainly use those relationships to go to a, a deeper place. What, what you're talking about, you know, you, you, you mentioned with David and Jonathan in the book that there was uh, the you were mentioned the word covenant between the two. Yes, know? and I yes. don't know. Like I said, I haven't read Wesley's book, uh, Spiritual Friendship, and it's been a few years since I heard him speak about it. But it, he he talked about he talked about throughout uh, history just how friendship yes. was was just different than today. Today, a friend, some of that's because of social media. Uh, you know, a friend is just I went to high school with this guy and and we're friends, but I haven't talked to him in twenty years. You know, this sort of thing, or a yeah, friend yeah. is. I work, I have a coworker, but as soon as I don't work there anymore, you know, we're, we're pretty much not going to see each other. We're not friends. Yeah. Yeah. So I have a, I have a million friends 
Uh, but I, I don't have these deep sort of covenantal friendships. Whereas, yes. and I don't remember the examples. Um, I want to say some well-known names that if I'm foggily remembering, maybe even C.S. Lewis or others, they had these, um, these covenantal really friendships with, with yes. uh, two men that, that had them. And, and they were, yeah. uh, they, they were friends for 50 years and one of them's wife yeah. died. And, and, and like his, his friendship with this man was stronger even than like his, his really relationship he had with his wife and, and you know, the, yeah. these, these sorts of things. Okay. So my first question is practically, it's sort of easy to talk about in theory uh, in, yeah. in the church. Is it really possible? What, what would it take for that to be, possible uh in a church to get to get christians to start thinking about friendships this way as well as the same-sex attracted people in our church and saying yes. you know what we we have to start making some covenants with with these people and not yeah. to patronize them in that way I don't, I don't mean to frame it that way in the podcast um but but this idea that um i heard at, at one of preston sprinkles events he had uh he always does this thing called meet the family and he has people share who are, are, are in the LGBT community uh, and just, they can be kind of anywhere along, along their journey, you know, on it. And, and one um, gal was sharing who, who struggles with gender dysphoria. And, and she said, uh, and, and I, and I think if I remember right also, yeah, yeah. She, she had had um, several lesbian relationships and now, now she was trying to, to live uh, a, a, as a Christian and single and celibate. And she said, I just, what, what can the church do was a question, you know? And she said, just yeah. invite, invite me into your family. You know, I, yes, I, yes. I, uh, I look in your window and I can see you in there and I can't have what you have. And so I just stand out here on the street. So just open the yes. door, you know, and, and totally invite me in. How can we begin to do that? You think in the church? Yeah, well, that's a fantastic question. I mean, there's a couple of things. One is, it's you know, it, like most things that you want to change in in the institution, certainly in the church, it requires good leadership. Yeah, which is the challenge, right? I mean, that can be the bottleneck for lots of good lay Christians who want things to change. But if leaders don't lead, if leaders don't cast vision, if leaders don't teach, if leaders don't open imaginations, it's hard for it to happen, right? So. Uh, that you know, <laughs> so find churches with good leaders and encourage those good leaders <laughs> to keep doing what they're doing. Yeah. Um, uh, so, so that's one thing um, because leaders are going to set the pace. Leaders are going to set the tone. Leaders are going to provide language for congregations to use. And 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 what I found as a pastor is permission giving to give permission to the congregation to think certain things or say certain things is is hugely empowering. So. How does it change? What can be, happen practically? Is, like it's got to begin with leaders, and so it's it's great. Like what Preston's doing, I so appreciate Wesley's writing ministry. What you're doing with your podcast and other people, they're trying to influence not not just lay people, but leaders to think differently and live differently and lead differently, is I think vitally important. Another piece of this, Noah, is important is to um, kind of deconstruct or um, pull the veil back or, or remove the mask on the culture and the way the culture causes uh, kind of causes all of us to think um, wrongly about these things. So um, 
think about what we call two guys in our culture who are really close and connected. They might be physically affectionate. They'll, they'll give big bear hugs when they see each other. Or they'll, you know, what do we call that in our culture? We call that a bromance, right? right? One of the things our culture has done is it has, it has romanticized and sexualized every relationship. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Friends with benefits is the language. Yeah. And so it has all of that language and way of thinking has minimized the category of friendship as a strong and sturdy thing in its own right. And it has collapsed it all into a sexual relationship that is on the same sort of spectrum as a marital relationship. Right. So, so think about how ironic it is. We call, you know, if you and I were really close, Noah, and we're giving each other bear hugs for somebody, somebody might say, this, dude, they got a bromance on the one hand. On the other hand, we might have a friend who finally found the person that they want to marry, and they would start talking about marrying their best friend. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So how interesting, we, we collapse all this language into sexual marital categories. I think one of the things we can do in our church context is start to push back on some of those language and categories and c- carve out a space for friendship as a viable thing in its own right. Um, that's, that's critical and, 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 um, and, and essential for all of us. And then I think just practicing, I mean, I love that what you, what you shared earlier about kind of knocking on the window, invite me in. I mean, that's exactly right. But we can practice that in all sorts of ways with those that are same sex attracted gay Christians in our congregations, but with just everyone in our congregation. Yeah. I mean, one of the things I struggle with as a pastor is cultivating hospitality in yeah. our congregation, yeah. right? I mean, we're all so busy doing our stuff that we don't yeah. have time to be hospitable. And if you're not hospitable, you don't even have the starting point for good, rich friendships. Yeah, that takes you back to the idea of singleness and how Jesus and Paul were single and they put singleness on a pedestal. And in the church, singleness is a stigma. It is a, oh, you know, and and, 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 and where, yeah, a huge, a huge piece of of this, it it transcends just singles who are same-sex attracted, but to all singles and, and in the church saying, you know, you are not a second-class citizen, and to, yes. to expand, I think we've, we're so obsessed with the nuclear, the nuclear family, the, the mom and the dad and the kids, and that is your whole life, that this idea for, for true, you know, friendships outside of that in a biblical sense, in a, a, a truly a biblical community sense that we see in the New Testament, uh, if, if we did that better, then I yes. don't think we, we'd be having as much of this conversation today. I think that's right. I think it's right. And, and recovering, Noah, the biblical metaphor of the family, that the body of Christ, the local church, is, is the family of God, brothers and sisters, through baptism and faith and union with Christ, our older brother, children of God the Father. And that metaphor, like recovering that, not just as a nice thought, but as the reality of our relationship, and that our primary relationship is as siblings, spiritual siblings, mm-hmm. brothers and sisters, in union with Christ, and re- and beginning to relate to everyone in the body of Christ in that way, that that really takes precedence, um, is, I think, it helps along these lines. Well, this uh, last question I have regarding a mere sexuality book comes from a friend of mine who's read the book, and he yeah. would identify as a gay Christian or as same-sex attracted. He's He's trying 
his very best. He's getting his hands on as many resources as he can, you know, reading a lot yeah. of Wes Wesley Hill and, 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 uh, and your book and, and Preston stuff. And, uh, he, he asks uh, relating to spiritual friendship in this conversation is any sort of non-sexual romance. Okay. Between two gay people who are committed to celibacy. What do you, how would you uh, respond to that? I can read it is again. Yeah, read it one more time. No, I just want to uh, make sure I get the language right. Yeah, is any sort of non-sexual romance okay between two gay people who are committed to celibacy? So what he's asking is essentially, yeah. if I, if, you know, he's gay and he's committed to celibacy and I'm gay and I'm committed to celibacy and we form a spiritual friendship and yes. and we are, he uses the word romantic, right? So he's yes, no, right, sure. We have we have feelings for each other. Yep. But we uh, we're committed to uh, the you know the Bible and Jesus and, and this this path of celibacy that you yes. know uh, we're not going to have sex because we're not um, we, we we would be outside of God's design for that one yes. union. Yeah. Um, and so he's he he uses the word. Is that okay? Is it is it okay for for yeah, that to great, be a spiritual yeah. friendship? Yeah, that's a great great question and a tough question right yeah, <laughs> that's, a, yeah. that's a very good tough question yeah. you're on the hot that, seat uh, now I'm, Todd. So. yeah no, i was gonna say <laughs> um i you know i i think i think i would say is it right or wrong i mean I, what i would prefer to say is to kind of reframe it in terms of wisdom and, and prudence and and um and what's going to help you live um a faithful and fulfilled life and so um kind of romantic activities or romant or cultivating stoking up romantic feelings yeah when i maybe it's a different way we think about romantic i i don't know this the person is asking the question I'm not here to sort of explain and elaborate but when i hear the word romantic i tend to think um feelings uh, for another person that that you know the the natural consummation of those feelings is a bodily sexual experience that's what when i think romantic feelings i think those culminate in those are aiming toward those are moving toward sexual experience right and so in that sense i would say I mean, if you buy that definition and understanding, you know, I mean, or let me back this up and say, this is what my wife and I do, right? No, right? Like we go out on a romantic date. We romantically hold each other's hands. We romantically gaze into each other's eyes. We romantically kiss. And that's what couples do. That's what married couples do and ought to do. Um, and the culmination of that is the consummation of the marriage and sexual intercourse. Um, but I would just say from a wisdom and prudence standpoint, I think that's going to be hard to do, or you should at least be thoughtful and careful about cultivating romantic feelings when you're trying to live a chaste and celibate life. Um, that's going to be hard to do, I think. That would be a bit like saying um, perhaps... I don't know, you know, like you're really trying to, to watch your, your budget, your financial budget, but you're going to go to the mall and go window shopping all afternoon. You know, I mean, maybe that's not a great analogy and I don't mean yeah. that to be offensive in any way, but yeah. I'm just saying it's not very wise. We would all know that's not super wise or, or, or the, the, let's say the, the, the recovering alcoholic who is going to go out to a bar with friends, you know, or 
uh, or, you know, it, it, it's, it's not the most wise and prudent thing because it's probably going to put you in a place where you're going to, where your, your will is going to have a harder and harder time resisting the desire and the temptation to, to fulfill those romantic desires sexually in a way that you don't want to. And so I, I would caution against that. Um, of course, feelings do happen to us, right? Um, and, and in a sense, we can't always keep from feeling romantic feelings. But I would say, you know, probably better to avoid um, stoking up those kinds of feelings, if at all possible. Yeah, That would be my, my encouragement. And to find other ways, here's the thing, to find other ways of cultivating intimacy that aren't cultivating romantic desires. Mm -hmm. But the way you would cultivate intimacy with a, with a sibling, like what would you do with a sibling that would be really powerful and bonding and rich, a great experience? Well, with your sibling, your sister or your brother, you're not going to stoke up romantic feelings. Right. That you you would know intuitively immediately that was inappropriate. Just in your gut, you say, "Whoa, that's not right." Um, that would be sort of the framework of the paradigm that I would encourage this person who's asking the question to pursue. Yeah, I think that's helpful. And yeah, it's not. I and thanks for thanks for answering it. I know I, I didn't mean for it to be a sort of hot seat question because it yeah. it can it can be you know. And 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 he even mentions this question is a, a point of disagreement within the side B community. And, yes. and that it can be a real struggle when you're a Christian and you're all, you're looking hard for community because you're, you're same sex attracted and you're, uh, you're not married. And then you also might be in a church environment where you might not be able to even sort of come out about that, even yes. that attraction yes. in, in a lot of cases. And then you find this IB community and it's, it's very, uh, I have people that I can be in community with and then there's, there's disagreements, yeah. uh, you know, there. And I, I know, um, that's a struggle of, of this, of this friend. I know that, um, and I want to be careful not to say, you know, too, too much about, about him. Um, but I know he's, he's looked for, he's looked for community and I, I think it can, we'll just put it this way. I think it can be frustrating if you're a same sex yeah. attracted single and you've tried the other ways, right? Like you've tried, um, I want to live in a communal house with a group of guys, kind of like a college yeah. dorm, but let's, let's yes. do that as, as adults. And I've tried that and it's failed because nobody wants to do that or people think, you know, or that's weird or whatever. And, and so totally. you, you end up and every, I think questions like this are hard to answer because every situation is different. Every, every, um, yeah, yeah every, every situation is different. So I think it can be hard to give a, a hard and fast sort of here's a, a law you know to to follow um as i as i reflect on it and i'm reflecting on on what what you were saying it the, the analogy i think of which isn't apples to apples because if if it were me if i was single and, and a woman um i would say something like and i think a lot of pastors might answer it this way well well you, to a guy, well, you wouldn't live with a woman um, who you had romantic feelings for because, yes. you know, it's just, we know it's probably going to happen. It's one, one thing's going to lead, yes. you know, to, to another. Uh, but I know responsible Christian adults who have roommates and housemates, whether I agree or disagree, they, they have housemates that are uh, the opposite gender and they 
you know, they just, there might be multiple people in the house and they're living together. There's nothing, there's nothing sexual, you know, whatsoever sort of going on there or, or expected there. And so I, I think there, there are cases where um, you could, yeah, you, you could live, you could have roommates, you know, you could have housemates. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think uh, another, this is a different, a different person, but this, uh, I just, I just really feel for people that have, Yes. Christians that have same sex attraction sure. because we we have to do better in the church to give them a viable lifestyle. We yes. have to do do better. Yes. Um, what one friend of mine he was uh, in a like Bible study is in college actually you know so living in a in a dorm and uh, didn't have any issues kind of there but was in a, a Bible study and started feeling attraction towards a guy uh, in the study and he felt it would be best to kind of share that with the guy it was a heterosexual guy yeah. so it it wasn't yes. like there was a potential for something to happen he felt it would be best to share this just so yeah um just confiding and being confiding honest and, and stuff, being yeah. honest and yeah, yeah totally he, totally he transparent a, and vulnerable <laughs> yeah he thought they had a friendship and frankly i've had gay guys tell me that and i'm cool with it i'm like dude thank yes. you for sharing that like it's helpful for me so i know how to support you and how to not make it weird and you know just just whatever uh anyway this 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 guy in his bible study he freaked out by it and, and yeah, he he, yes. he was totally creeped out and he didn't he stopped talking to him and it really crushed uh this friend yes a, a different guy than asked this question it, it it really crushed him and so i just um not that you have to have have the answers to it but i just think it's something we have to talk more about because i still struggle with what is the the viable alternative, and I know that it is community. Uh, and and if we're we're in a side B community, saying um, we don't think this orientation is going to change, it can. I mean, it, not to say it doesn't ever, but by and large, yeah. it's 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 not going to change. Um, spiritual friendship. I I need to read Wesley's book. I haven't done that. I maybe I need to read yep. that. And and because he's you know he's a practitioner of this. He's a guy. Uh, yes. living this out. He's had to wrestle through these things. Uh, but I think as pastors, um, yeah, it is just, it is important that we, um, if this friend were to say, you know what, I'm gonna, I'm gonna live with this guy. And we're both celibate. We're both gay. We have feelings for each other. Um, my first response would be, thank you for telling me, first of all. Mm-hmm. And I would give a response like you did. And I would say, I don't think that's really wise and prudent. But I also would say, uh, if that's what you're going to do, let's pour on the community and accountability. Uh, let's yeah. let, let's tell others about this um, that are trusted. You know, let not not that we have to broadcast it to the church, but uh, I want to come over. I want to hang out with you. I want yes. to be in on on this. I want to know. Um, frankly, as your pastor and as your brother in Christ. I want to know what you're doing. You know, I want to, I want to know, I want permission from you. Um, I want permission from you to hold you accountable, um, to ask you questions. You know, that would potentially be something that I I think I would say. Um, Yeah, man, what a tough thing. But I wanted to bring it up because that's real. This is somebody, he's not a heterosexual guy like us who can just sort of talk about these things, you know. No, that's right. That's right. 
yeah, that's my, right. Exactly. My rambling on it. Yeah. No, no, I appreciate the ram. I mean, I, I, I don't count, <laughs> don't yeah, count I, it rambling. I think it's I exactly it, yeah. right. I mean, you're trying to ramble your way into very painful yeah. at times and complicated. One thought uh, um, is um, we need to do a better job of, uh, or the church needs to talk, put it bluntly, the church needs to talk about sex more. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we do. We yeah. need to talk about because we're very like goes to an earlier point. We're very afraid of our own bodies. Mm-hmm. We're very afraid of our own bodies because our bodies are messy, complicated, at times confusing, and sexual desire and sexuality is can be for many of us very confusing, complicated, painful at times stuff. Yeah, And so we prefer to just sort of float above embodiment and all the messiness that goes along with it and pretend like we got everything sorted out and, you know, uh, blah, 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 blah. Um, and so we're, we get, and frankly, I think we get scared and reactionary when we have to wade into these complicated, you know, situations like your friend who confides in his, in, in this other person in the Bible study that, He's, he's same-sex attracted and, and finds this person attractive and the guy kind of freaks out, right? I think that's a sort of anxiety about the messiness of your own sexuality, mm. to be honest. Mm-hmm. I mean, that'd be the way I'd read that. Maybe that's not fair in this particular case, but that's the way I read that. As we get more comfortable with our own bodies, we'll become more comfortable with talking about the reality of sexuality, which will create a lot more space, transparency, and vulnerability, which will be a win I think for those who are same sex attracted, but also know for those of us who are others sex attracted yeah. to just be more frank and blunt about our sexuality. So maybe what I want to say with that is thank you for everything you're doing in your ministry and work to, to just raise this as a conversation for the church. I, I know it's going to be a win for people. Yeah, thanks, Todd. I think that's a good place to land the conversation about sexuality uh, for today because I thought I was thinking about what you said earlier about leadership. And if leaders in the church aren't talking about these things, one, it creates yeah. a huge stigma, huge. That's right. And, right. Um, and how, how would your church goers ever know to create space in their life uh, in covenant friendships with same sex attractive people or single people in general, if you aren't preaching about it and talking about it, it's, it's not just going to happen you know, automatically. And, and when we don't talk about it, and I think this is where, you know, some of the work Preston Sprinkle's doing with his events where he goes around to talk to yep. ministry leaders about sexuality and particularly LGBTQ issues and, and people to be loved, you know, that, that sort of idea, the name of his book. But when he gets people on stage that are Christians that are faithful to Jesus and they are same-sex attracted gay, lesbian, uh, transgender, whatever label, you know, different people choose to identify with different, which we didn't get into today, but, um, that, but when, when we hear we being sort of, uh, evangelical Christians that are, that are heterosexual cisgender, and we hear these stories and we go, Oh, wow. Like human being, (laughs) like I can now empathize (laughs) with you and your struggle. And if we just talked about it more in our church and, and instead of these people being so afraid to, to say the something other. that, that, we, right. that we flipped a script and put them on stage and we let them uh, share their vulnerability uh, in a safe place and in a loving way, man, I just think then the vast majority of people in the church are going to come alongside of them and support them. And, and it, yeah, I think yes. it starts with 
we've got to talk more about this. So thank you for your book, uh, Mere Sexuality, yeah, and you, the other writings you've done on sex. I know you've you've written other volumes on sex, and uh, and, and yeah, I just. I hope that is something the the flip side podcast, whatever uh, we talk about all kinds of topics, but I always say we're always going to talk about this one uh, because we need to, someone said it better. I, um, I don't remember who this quote was from, but, and I'm going to butcher it, but it was the idea that we don't want to normalize the sin. That's not, we never want to normalize sin, but we do want to normalize the conversation. So it's something we can talk about without shame and we can talk about it. Yeah, that's it. And, and lead with grace in the gospel. And, and, and one thing we didn't get to, but the solution to all this is Jesus, is the gospel, is that Amen. Jesus can give uh, a single person, a married person, a gay person, a straight person, uh, Jesus can, can fill up your heart and make you whole, the, the love, the acceptance of the Father that we have in the gospel. Yes. That's what I'm looking for. When I'm tempted to look at porn, or I'm tempted to have sex outside of my marriage, or I'm tempted to lust over a woman walking down the street, what I'm looking for is validation and wholeness. That's mm. what I want. Mm. And I can get all yes. of that in, in Jesus. And all of us yes. can get all of that in Jesus. So I'm ending my yes, sermon amen. there. And uh, <laughs> um, I'm, I'm, I'm liking that. I'm giving you an amen, brother. <laughs> that's where uh, we, we've got to talk about this stuff more. So, yeah. Amen. amen this is amen. awesome. Uh, Todd, before I let you go, uh, next year, early next year, January, you're going to have a book out on the Enneagram, which is super exciting. Yes. Uh, I hope I'm to have excited. you uh, back on, and we'll, I love to nerd we'll out to. on the on the enneagram. Before I let you oh, go, yeah. uh, I am uh, unabashedly an eight. Uh, how could you be an eight and and not be unabashed about it? Uh, and, what what are you on the enneagram, Todd? Uh, I, I'm an eight as well. Oh, look at I, you, I don't I don't know if you told me that before. No wonder I like you I so didn't. much. Yes. Oh. Eightness is greatness. Uh, man, we have some issues. Eights. Until it's not, until it's not oh, great. We have some issues, don't we? Sometimes before I oh, discovered yeah, yeah. the Enneagram, I thought like almost every non like Jesus like thing that I do is in the eight description. That's exactly right. That's exactly right, bro. So, hey, let me just oh. know. A, can, sir, let me just draw a quick line yeah, between my interest in sexuality and the Enneagram. And it has to do with embodiment in our bodies. And our personalities, yeah, and how we're shaped by our stories and all the rest of it. It impacts and affects us in profound, profound ways. So there is a line between sexuality and personality theory in the Enneagram that would be super fun to talk about uh, yes. when I come back. Uh, oh, hopefully, you'll invite man. me back. I so, will. So I will. We'll, we'll look forward to that conversation. All Enneagram eights are welcome on this podcast. Uh, <laughs> yes, there we go. That's fantastic. Well. Well, thanks, Todd. I, I just appreciate yeah, you hanging great out. To be with it, you, was, man. it was well For worth sure. the wait. And uh, we'll definitely good, have good you man. on again. And we'll, we'll, we'll nerd out on the Enneagram and talk about how eights are the best. Awesome. Oh, thanks, I mean, man. no, I didn't great mean that. I meant, I meant humbly. Well, they're pretty good. Eights are pretty good. Eights are pretty good. <laughs> All right. What a great conversation with Todd Wilson. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope it challenged you. I hope it drew you closer to Jesus who loves you. And when the Father looks at you, Colossians 1.22, I just love that passage. The Father sees you as holy, without blemish, and free from accusation if you are in Christ. And there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus, Romans 8.1. Uh, just allow those precious, true words of the gospel to, to soak in to your life wherever you're at, wherever you're at on your journey. And uh, with that, we're going to transition now for those of you... <laughs> 
that are new to the podcast, I've, I've learned uh, to just give this preface for you. If you are like, oh, Todd Wilson, I want to check that interview out. I just want you to know you're about to experience something you've never you've never experienced in your life. And, and, and I got to warn you, you, you need to be warned. Next is a segment called Noah's Rant. And it's not for the faint of heart, to be honest. Anything, if you were looking for a podcast that talked about theology and spirituality and discipleship and dealing with real issues, and all that's over. So you've got that. It's done. There will be nothing like that from this point on. So if if you don't want to experience ridiculousness and uh, complete... Uh, <laughs> I don't know if rubbish is the right word. <laughs> uh, ridiculousness. Uh, just, I'm warning you. Turn it, turn it off now. But you've been warned. If you continue listening from this point on uh, to Noah's rant, it is, it is completely your fault. Uh, but I know that in this tough season of the pandemic, you know, it ain't easy, right? It ain't easy. And, and different episodes throughout the pandemic, I've been, I've been pretty transparent. It ain't easy. And that's a serious statement. This is not a serious statement. Next. Uh, the Flipside Podcast is here for you. I have the salve for your wound. I have the remedy to your ailment. And it is uh, Noah's rant. I know you truly can't live without it. So back by popular demand, even though it never went anywhere, of course, how could it? Noah's rant. Noah's rant. All right, so uh, pray for my wife. You know, I just had this great conversation with Todd Wilson about sexuality and marriage, and and marriage is hard and all this. Man, my my, my poor wife has to be married to me. She's got, can you imagine? That's hard. She's got to put up with me, and yeah, I I I'm a I'm a I'm high maintenance. I'm a, I'm not I'm not a normal individual, and I'm an eight on the enneagram. So that's not a good combination. All right, so my my wife, like a normal human, uh, she likes. Things that are decorated and nice and pretty and, and have nice design to them. And and and, and for me, <laughs> my poor roommate in college, you know, he he tried to get me to clean my room. My poor mom growing up always tried to get me to clean my room. All of them very unsuccessful. My wife, we've been married 16 years. She has been unsuccessful to get me to be a, a clean, organized, tidy person. So uh, we, I'm also cheap. I, uh, I totally admit that I am cheap. Uh, uh, to my credit, I'm very generous with my money, but I do not like to spend money on myself. And I, I don't like to spend money on what I think are frivolous things, which 99% of you who are normal would disagree with. And, 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 and you're, you're the normal ones and my wife would be with you. So here's what I mean. We've had the same dressers. I th- for like 15 years of our marriage, we, they were hand-me-down dressers from friends of ours who are moving. And, and I, the dressers we had before these dressers were hand-me-downs and they were in really bad shape. So these hand-me-down dressers weren't as bad as the hand-me-down dressers we, we did have. So we scooped them up and, and my wife is always never like them. They're, they're this, you know, they don't match. They're dark brown in color. And I, and I just think, why does, who, why does that matter? They, they're just, they hold your clothes. It's not like your clothes are sitting in there going, oh, I can't, I just can't believe that I don't match. Uh, and this box I'm in doesn't match the box across the, uh, across, <laughs> across the room. So she's, she's always wanted to uh, refurbish them, you know, paint them, make them matching. She wants to help out my uh, disability 
of not caring at all about these things by not not having to buy new furniture, which would be quite expensive, but but pretty cool, you know, redeeming these old ones. And there's so so she's finally doing it. It's summer and we you know we've been in our house since October. So so she's been she's been moving them down to the to the garage and uh, we uh, what's it called? Wax painting them? Chalk painting them. She's chalk painting them. So painting with these special brushes and and it looks like kind of chalky paint and then you put wax on it and it's it's this whole thing. This this whole thing. And and what this has done is it's it's just dr- it's drudged up a lot of a lot of wounds for me. A lot of a lot of tender subject. Uh, my relationship with dressers. My relationship with dressers and and that's what I got to talk about. This rant is not about my wife. It's more about me and my issues. But Really, it's about dressers. I have an issue with dressers and really whoever whoever decided they were needed and necessary and invented them uh, because here's the thing. Uh, a dresser, it just makes your life harder. So I don't know about you, but my life is hard enough. I don't know about you, but I have enough things to do in my day. And one thing I hate doing is laundry. So there's a whole other rant there we could talk about. Laundry is important because your clothes should be clean. I'm not that big of a slob. I'm about cleanliness. I don't want things to smell. And so your laundry should be clean. But First of all, why do we fold laundry again? Who who decided one day they said, I'm going to make every human being miserable for the rest of their lives. I'm going to make it important that clothes aren't wrinkly and I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna make them I'm gonna make people fold their laundry so if you wore wrinkly clothes people would look at you and say oh I can't believe I, I can't believe you wear wrinkly clothes but why is it who cares I mean we we have the stupidest things in fashion anyway you wear a necktie who who came up with that let's put a piece of fabric right in the middle of the shirt like you mean attached to the shirt no like hanging off the shirt you mean kind of like a dog collar yeah exactly it'll be so funny we'll it's like we'll prank everybody and then and then it caught on somehow then now we just wear hey i just need a random piece of fabric i'm gonna tie it around my head and and hang it off kind of like a like a dog leash and i'm gonna walk around but that's that's gonna be for like really special occasions when i really want to get fancy you know i mean we do these fashionable things that make no sense complete let's let's add ruffles rough ruffles like the potato chip yeah yeah let's do let's put ruffles all over like the dress the, the around it. it'll be so great so we do these things that make no sense at all we to- what I'm saying is we totally could have gotten by with completely wrinkly clothes, but no, somebody had to say at some point, uh, maybe it was the Pope or something or some king, and, and they made this edict and said clothes must not be wrinkly. So they had to fold them. And so your, your life is bad enough because you got to do the laundry, and, it's, and then now you have to take the next three hours to take fold that giant pile of laundry. If that wasn't bad enough, Cause that's bad, right? Let's be real. I'm, I'm, I know you're, you're amening right now. I know you're saying, preach it, brother. I know you're feeling my pain right now. I know you are. I can, I can feel that through the podcast microphone. If life wasn't bad enough that we have to fold the clothes, somebody said, oh no, no, let's make it even worse. Let's really make people miserable. Let's invent dressers. Oh, we mean dressers. We're going to explain. Okay, we're going to invent a box filled with little boxes, okay? And, and not only do the clothes have to get folded, we're going to make them do more work and put the clothes into the boxes and shut the drawers so you can't... Wait, wait, no. You, 
you can't just leave them on the floor. You can't because that's easy, right? Oh, I know that's so easy. If the clothes could stay on the floor, you could just grab them and go. You wouldn't. There'd be no middle step, no pulling out of drawers and rummaging around for where the shirt or or whatever it might be is. It'd just be sitting out. It would be on the floor. There'd be not. There'd be no middle step. It would just be here. You are and here your clothes are, you, you put them on, and you go. But no, we had to create a dresser. We had to create this obnoxious, unnecessary middle step. Could you imagine if we did this with other things, if we were going to go to drink our morning coffee and the coffee is brewed and in and I just I'm gonna pour in my mug and I'm gonna drink it because that's what I do you get it and you go no stop stop oh hold on we have a coffee dresser first of all we have eight <laughs> little drawers and we're gonna pour a little bit of coffee into each drawer and now you then uh, but you have to do that before you can before you can have your coffee and then you pull out the drawer you want and then you can pour that in your mug and then you can go on your way no that, that, that we would never do that we just give me what I need and go put the clothes on the floor. This is I've been telling this to my wife for 16 years. Told it to my roommate in college before that. Told it to my mom before that. <laughs> Why is nobody listening to me? It is easier if your clothes are on the floor. You don't need this monstrosity in your bedroom that just gets in the way of you getting to your clothes, putting them on, and moving on with your day. So whoever invented dressers, if I... I know, I know, I know you're, I know you're listening right now. I know you're listening. I know you, your great grandkids, great, great grandkids are listening to the podcast right now. And the flip side, Noah's rant exists to make the world a better place. And so what, what I need you to do is make a public repentance, a public confession of your past mistakes for inventing the dresser and and tell people, tell my wife, tell my mom, tell my old roommate, they're not needed. Tell them that the floor is a perfectly acceptable place to keep your clothes. It makes so much more sense. And 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 don't don't give me this nonsense that it looks better. How many people are going in your bedroom? I mean, it's you and your spouse. I mean, my kids aren't even allowed in my bedroom. It's like we create, oh, this is the best room in the house. It's so pretty and so amazing, but nobody's allowed to see it ever. We lock it up. I mean, that doesn't even make sense. At least spend your energy on making things look nice in a part of your house that people will actually see and get to enjoy. And even when you're in your bedroom, 95% of the time you're sleeping. Your eyes are closed. So you're spending all this time and money and energy that you could be, you could be telling people about Jesus. You could be doing missions. You could be playing video games on your cell phone. You could be doing all these things. But instead, you've made your bedroom look so pretty and so neat. And then you just sleep in there all the time. At least at least turn your bedroom into the, the main room of the house. Maybe put the kitchen table in there. So at least there's people in your room to enjoy how beautiful uh, your, your dressers look. I just uh, don't actually do that with your kitchen table. It is meant to highlight uh, the 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 injustice that is dressers that is uh, ruining the world today. 
And so I'll leave you with that. I'll leave you that. I believe today that Noah's rant has made the world a better place. If the founding uh, inventor of dressers, great, 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 has never renounced dressers, let me tell you this. Let's start a resistance right now. Let's hashtag it. Uh, no dressers. Freedom from dressers. Dresser injustice. Hashtag. And get rid of your dresser. Just get rid of it. Just put the clothes on the floor. And then next, you know what we're going to do next? We're going to get rid of folding our clothes. We're going to throw out the irons. Throw... Don't even get me going on irons. That's a, that's sort of the next Noah's rant. I I don't I can't do it. It's just too emotional. The wounds are too deep. Whoever invented ironing clothes, I'm telling you, sick people out there. There's sick people that that they 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 hack companies. They hack your information. They put viruses out there on the internet. Who does stuff like this? It's the people that invented the iron. That invented the dresser. They just want to torment humanity. That is Noah's rant. I, I feel good now. I feel good that we, we have made the world a better place. We have made the world a, a freer, better place. Can you feel it? I, I can feel it. Uh, with that, I hope you enjoy Noah's rant. I do enjoy it. I do, kind of. Then I wonder uh, how many of you think I'm a complete moron. And I'm okay with that because Jesus loves me. So, Stay tuned uh, for next episode of the Flipside Podcast. Subscribe if you haven't already. Be sure to check out beyondthebattle.net and know you can email the show podcast at beyondthebattle.net. The Flipside with Noah Filipiak is a South Francis Press production. Copyright Noah Filipiak, www.noahfilipiak.com. Theme music by Kyle Lake at K Lake Music. Use with permission. Please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or wherever podcasts are found. Yow, yow, dripping in that gall that don't perish. People selling fake, see the green around their belly. Taking refuge in his hand, see his poems, my living quarters. Close them when I'm finished, it's time to bring me closer. There's no purgatory, cause you're in or you're out. When you see him in the clouds, then you know it's going down. Raise them, raise them, raise them. They've been sleeping for some ages. Now all God's babies so confused by this hatred. Pulpit preachers shouldn't aim to be A-list. Money probably long, but short is with your days. Have you ever heard the sound of freedom?